rookie judge on assessment is likely to be involved in armed combat. One five don't survive the first day. You may be required to carry out on-the-spot executions of convicted felons. Yes, sir. Incorrect sentencing is an automatic fail. Disobeying a direct order from your assessment officer is an automatic fail. Losing your primary weapon or having it taken from you is an automatic fail. Yes, sir. You ready, rookie? I am. Your assessment starts now. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. And it's a podcast where we talk about movies. And specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. Uh, I am your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 53. The movie that we watched this week was the 2012 version of Dread, starring Carl Urban. And joining me, coming back after last week, is Drew. Hi, everybody. Hi. And coming back again is Hammond. Hello. Hello. So, Dread from 2012. Now, last week we watched Judge Dread, um, which was Oof. 90s Stallone in all of its cheesy glory. Um, it was pretty, pretty universal that we didn't love it. Um, but had either of you seen Hammond? You had seen this one before, right? Yes, I did. I actually okay. saw it in 3D on an IMAX screen when it came out. Oh, okay. That I would have liked. Um, but Drew, you had never seen this one before. No, and in fact, it wasn't until looking up stuff about the the movie after I watched it finding out that it was a 3d movie which 2012 i guess that would have tracked Mm -hmm. but actually filmed in 3d using 3d cameras and not the post-process stuff which probably would have made some of those scenes look even cooler i gotta tell you there were some moments uh that were pretty awesome in in the film in 3d yeah um i really wish i could have seen this in in 3d in a in a theater like that i uh i've only seen it on you know my tv and whatnot and it's still very, very good. It's vastly different from the Stallone movie. Um, it, it's, it's almost like it's, it's based on something completely different. It's hard to imagine that those two movies, like one of my notes I had written to myself was the first 10 minutes of this movie are more R rated than the entirety of the last film, which is something that yeah. we talked about last week. Uh, it earns its R rating over <laughs> and over and over again. Yes, it does. It does not shy away on the violence whatsoever, um, which, based on the comic, it kind of needs to, uh, in my opinion. And I think it makes for a more, um, I want to say, ac- I guess, accurate adaptation of the the Dread comic strip. Um but let's just kind of start with sort of an overall, did you like it, did you not? Um, and Hammond, since you've seen it more than once, and I know you had some thoughts uh, you had mentioned last week about RoboCop. So uh, Yeah, so what I wanted to say right off the bat was that the, the original RoboCop held up next to the original Judge Dredd. Uh, one is very hard and very edgy and very uh, in-your-face, and mm-hmm. then the Dredd. And then it feels like they flipped because the remake of RoboCop came across as kind of lighthearted kind of and more flouncy and more appropriate and this new dread came off like the kind of flipped positions in their reboots yeah that's i i did not get a chance to watch the new robocop this week um but uh that is what i have heard is not that 
um, dissimilar to what you just said. I know the the new RoboCop was also PG thirteen um, yeah. on its release, so cut cut stuff back to try to to get that larger box office take, probably. Yeah, uh, see how that about, worked. The other thing I'll say about this, just kind of going, is I forgot just how much of a video game setup this was. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's just like level after level of just throwing waves of guys at them. Um, Literal levels. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things I really liked about this was the scale of the story. So one of my complaints that I had last week with Judge Dredd was it tried to be too big and tried to tell too much and show too much. And this, it helped. Now, obviously, um, some of this was budget-related. It had a very low budget um, to make this, but they contained it within that one mega block. And that, for me, made it work better because now you get to do all the world-building at that scale. And I don't know. I, I liked that part of it. Drew, what did you think of, like, that in terms of sort of a storytelling device of like, let's contain it all sort of a diehard style thing containing it all in one building. So I will say as this movie starts off, we get dread giving his take on the, you know, he's got the voiceover Mm -hmm. uh, talking about the, the current status of America. And, uh, sorry, I just thought it was funny. Uh, New Zealand actor (laughs) saying (laughs) that typically known for having a pretty good, uh, pretty good American accent, but, they start showing the city and I wasn't super thrilled with the mega city. It seemed, I don't know if small is the right world word. It just looked like LA Atlanta, big city streets, except for these gigantic towers. And I was like, is this going to be the city? Is this going to be, but once they got into that mega structure, that's when that style really clicked in. And I, dug it after that okay yeah um well how about you Hammond? what do you think i i like the fact that they they took from a a larger view and then narrowed it down to a problem in one thing uh I did like to see that vanigans were still uh on the road and yeah popular. that was great uh <laughs> and the other thing i wanted to do is judge dread an originally a british property yes Yes. Okay, because the whole idea of the block, like attack the block, like the movie, mm-hmm. and the whole like existence in one tower, it's a very European approach. Yeah. Yeah. It was a uh, it was a British um, comic in uh, what was called 2000 AD was what the collection seen, that it was. Have you seen uh, Attack the Block? Either one of you? I have not, and it's on my list of things I need to see. Um, yeah, I, I also haven't seen it. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. It's got Doctor the new Doctor Who in it, and uh, oh, uh, it's I, funny and scary, and it's just it's it's awesome. Well, it's what that a, was, yeah, that was the movie that it, kind of put John Boyega on the map, right? Sort of got him Star Wars. Yeah, and it probably helped get her who. Okay, I didn't know she was in it. I knew Boyega yeah, I knew. was in it, but oh, that's uh, well, it's it's moving up my list. <laughs> yeah, it's really. <laughs> Um, so we did talk last week. There's going to be a lot more comparison this week now that we have the two to talk about. Um, and last week, the movie, so Judge Dredd in 1995 had a budget of $90 million. Um, this, and, and this movie in 2012 had a budget of $50 million. So considerably less budget. Now, 
I don't know how much of that $90 million budget went to Stallone's costume, um, <laughs> given that it got its own credit. But uh, it just shows, it, it, it really shows that you don't need a big budget or a big name in order to make a really good film. Um, and Carl Urban in 2012 was well known, but he, he wasn't even quite to the, the level that he is now you, where he, you've seen him in a bunch of other stuff. He had, he had done quite a bit, um, but he, I loved him in this. I loved him as dread um, because he gives that, that feeling of more anti-hero, more like he's not a good guy at all. He's not like he follows the law, but he has that one moment where he tells the guy, it would save me a lot of paperwork if you just confess right now. I want to, I want to, sorry, sorry, Hammond. I want to contradict you a little bit in this. He's not a good guy because he, this dread does something that you don't see the, the Stallone dread do and something that I would not have expected. He does have this, the strict interpretation of the law, but like when they get to the building and they see the guy loitering outside and they tell him, don't be here when we get back. He lets that guy go. Well, tries to let that guy go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there are moments in this scene where he could, or in this movie where he could pull the trigger and you might expect him to pull the trigger and he doesn't. Mm. And that is something that, that I think is, is an interesting take on this. Yeah. There are many times when he doesn't pull the trigger, but a few notable ones that, I, that I'm sure we'll get. You know, I think, you're right. And Hammond, you had something you wanted to say, so I want to let you Well, know. I was just going to say that I, I think that uh, it was summed up that he was a good guy when the corrupt cops came in and said, I know who you're dealing with. This is going to cost you. Oh, that's... And I think yeah. That, that shows that not only is he a badass and he knows what he's doing, but he's also like straight up and down moral. You're not going to break him. You're going to have to kill him because you can't buy him off. So I know who you're dealing with, so you're going to pay up. And I think that sums up the fact that everyone knows he's a straight shooter, literally and figuratively. That's a that's a good point. You guys are right. Um, he is because I'm I'm thinking about it now. The two kids that come up to him, yeah, you know, he could have very easily just popped them both and been done. Instead, he gives them a chance to back away, and then he stuns them and leaves them there. Um, he doesn't. Uh, you're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> I but backtrack on everything again, that I said. But again, it's tough to tell. And this is something that I think is good about Urban's performance, that he sets up all these these expectations that you think this is going to be how this character is. And then it makes those moments where he's not stand out even bigger in, in a way that Stallone never could. Well, even even your intro said that if you lose your primary weapon, you fail. Well, she lost her primary weapon, and he still told her that she passed. Yeah. That's true. Totally. Yeah. That's because you made the one guy piss himself. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I really liked the way that they uh, portrayed her throughout the movie, uh, Judge Anderson, with because um, she's very she's almost nervous at the start, or she's giving off this this feeling of being nervous <coughs> when she um, when she gets into the psychic part of it and gets inside his brain. You see, like. You see her assertiveness. You see her uh, really feeling like she knows she's in her element. She knows what she's doing at that point. And then you get to see her progressively get more and more of that outwardly towards the end of the movie. Well, what's great is they actually build a reason in for the pretty girl to have her mask off. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, which, which was... I, I, I looked. I looked into this. That character is a character in the Judge Dread comics. Mm-hmm. She is a psychic. She's part of a whole team of psychic judges. And I, I, I didn't see too much, but the images I saw of her didn't have the helmet on there either. At least there's a reason, and it's not just Stallone not wanting to, to keep a hat on. Right, and and look, hats off or hats on to Carl Urban for keeping the helmet on for the entirety of the movie. He he said that that was going to be the fact before it got uh, started. Uh, I don't know. There's a scene in the very beginning of the movie where he doesn't have his helmet. Yeah, he's suiting up, but once he puts it on, it never comes back off. And they leave his helmet. He leaves his face in shadow, so he puts yep. it on. And it's, it's, I just <laughs> thought yeah, that was yeah. funny after reading all of that. So the redheaded guy with the computer eyeballs, Domhnall Gleeson. Yeah, is that uh, Rob Schneider? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the Rob Schneider of this movie. Um, I spent I spent so much of that movie trying to figure out who is that guy. He looks so familiar. He looks so, it's Domhnall Gleeson. It's, yeah, it's, it's General Hux. General Hux. I could not believe it. Uh, well, he does a fantastic American accent, like and and the way that he can hold it through the the kind of stress levels that they put his character through. I love that. He's great. Um, and that character, uh, according to IMDb, does not have a name. He is Clan Tech. Yeah. Um, and and he's a great character because he he's doing. I mean, he's that classic, you know, doing the things because he's forced to. But I just really like the portrayal of him um a lot you know yeah. it helps when you get Domhnall Gleeson right um just if you need that cast Mad-Eye Moody's kid and you're fine <laughs> in all the scenes when he's when you see him initially and it looks like he's definitely a part of the the crew a part of the clan and doing all this stuff and then you kind of back out and see that oh it's because mama has a, a knife to his his belly and is going to kill him the second he does something out of sorts it really I don't know. There's a, uh, a past torture that is really evident of that character, and again, it's it's not played for laughs, and it comes off. I, yeah. I think it works really well. Well, so they they um, give away his victimhood uh, right at the end of the movie when she when she lets him go and she gets all the flashes from his brain, and you find out how he got his eyes right. But they show that right at the beginning of the movie when they're giving Mama's backstory. They show that same scene going in the other direction where she takes his eyes out. That's him. Yeah. I'm just now realizing this. (laughs) He got de-junked. No, he got de-eyed. Well, no, she said the the guy's junk off too. That was was the um, former leader. Oh, the different guy? Yeah, that was a different guy. Oh, okay. The, the former the former leader of the uh of Whatever. the clan that they went up against um, Yeah. The clan Peachtree. Yeah. Well there were well there were three clans. There was the the there's these weird fake judges. There was uh I'm trying to remember. I can't, I should have written those down. <laughs> yeah, well it was the judged. Um That's that, it. that, that had like the tattoos that looked like the judge helmets. Um Yeah, so Okay, the costuming, because we we did mention Stallone's costume, Judge Dredd costume, is having kind of its own credit in the last movie, and I talked about how much I didn't like them because they just didn't look intimidating at all, but they were very comic accurate. These were not as comic accurate, but they looked really good, and they still had all the little flares. If you notice the shoulder pads, one shoulder pad had the stripes on it, and the other had the eagle. Um, Yeah. 
and uh, all of that. Plus, the helmet was a little more accurate with the the crossing red um, lines, red red on the eye line, and all that. Um, I really dug the the uh, the costuming in this movie because it looked functional. Yeah, there there were a couple of shots where I don't know if these were pickup shots or early shots where the helmet just looked a little off on Urban's head. Uh, there were typically some close-ups that I think happened towards the beginning of the movie. I don't know whether that was just some one-off stuff because most of the movie ends up totally fine. Like off like it wasn't the right like size? It, like it, it looks like just a little too tall or mm, like it's okay. sitting wrong on his head. Could be. I don't know. It's hard to say. It was it was it was so I don't know why I even brought it up. It was like a one and done thing. No, I don't still, know. Um, when when the focus is so much on that look, like I can see that. I just I dug like it had that nice functional um, look to it, and I can't imagine the amount of ADR they had to do for this movie, given that it's all leather. Like the sound, the sound on set must have been great, just squeaking leather all the time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you have your one judge who never takes his helmet off. And then you have your other judge who never wears her helmet. Um, but at least they give a good reason for it. Um, I did, I I thought it was kind of cool. None of the other judges, um, that arrive and they're all small parts, but none of them take their helmets off either. So you never see any judge faces. The only judge that you see, the only other judge face you see is the one who seems to be in charge and sends them out on the mission to begin Yep, the chief judge, the the Max von Sydow of uh, this movie. <laughs> Which, by the way, since uh, last week we lost Max von Sydow, like the next day, uh, it you know ninety years old, and he passed away. Rest in peace. Yep, Mr. he was von Sydow. He was a legend. Um, he was one of those. I mean, we talked about it last week. He was one of those people that, one of those actors that was always good in everything he was in, no matter how cheese ball or terrible the movie that he was in was he was always great dedicated to the craft Mm -hmm. elevating the performances absolutely um so there were there were there's very few things about this movie i don't like over the other one um right down to like the music and i had talked a bit about that last week how i loved alan silvestri in the score but the this music fit to me um kind of the feel that they were going for overall um what did you guys think of like the the score because it's basically i mean it's uh, i don't know who did it i should probably look that up and have that information shouldn't i but um i don't know what did you what did uh you think hammond about the the music in the movie i really liked it i think there was a a, a fit the mood and it fit the kind of ambiguous time frame that they're trying to put us in and I, I, it did a great job for, you know, increasing, you know, beats when it needed to. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I love the fact that when they were doing the slow-mo music that matched like what was going on in their heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I did slow-mo. I think slow-mo was invented just so the director of photography could get some cool shots. <laughs> you know, it paid oh, off. Yeah. Probably shots were awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely want to go into that more. Um, in a little bit, but one one thing I did read, uh, trivia wise, was that the the sound effect of going into slow mo was supposedly based on a Justin Bieber song that was slowed down eight hundred times. It's Paul Leonard <laughs> Morgan did the music. Paul Leonard Morgan, okay, it's good. Uh, it was and you're right, it fit. He's a lot of TV stuff. Um, 
Uh, let's see. What were we going to run? Uh, oh, wow. He did the music for Warhammer 4000 Dawn of War 3 for the video game. Uh, oh. Limitless. Oh, okay. Um, Limitless, the TV show or the movie? The Limitless, the TV show. No, it's the movie. the movie. Too. Yeah, I was gonna say it does. It, I mean, it does make sense that they would get someone of, based on just the budget that this movie had. That, that you're going to get someone who's got some experience, but maybe not a huge name. You're not going to get. Uh, well, he's been working since 1997 and has, I don't know, 70 credits to his name as a composer. Yeah, yes. a lot of and and it's a lot of TV and video game. He's yeah. going to be doing the. He's composing the music for Cyberpunk 2077. Oh wow. That yeah, seems fitting. Awesome. I can see yeah. that. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, you're right. It fit the tone that they were going for. And and that's a good way to put it. They're kind of ambiguous. It's in the future, but they never give a date. They never give a year. It's just no. in the future. Um, And the mega cities. Which is interesting just because the comics have a date to all of the stuff that happens. I, I, I don't know what, well, some of that stuff is because we're kind of living in the future past at the, at the, or the past future at some point. Cause right. sometimes some things take place in 1990 that obviously didn't happen. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, I just, so in, Drew, you had mentioned that you didn't love the kind of aerial shots of the city. It didn't feel big enough for you. It's, it's not necessarily that it didn't feel big enough because it was certainly expansive. It just, my expectation going into it would be, honestly somewhat closer to the old dread movie than the new dread movie where uh but on a much bigger grander scale that yes it may i love the tower once we get there and the giant tower standing out with seventy thousand people that live in it Mm -hmm. 200 floors but the rest of it just looks like walking outside in a city today and i that's probably intentional based on where they shot it and what the point that they were trying to make for comparing this society to our society and all of that. It just didn't click for me when dread is chasing down a bunch of bad guys in, in a Toyota van that you could go and buy, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's something. A Volkswagen I, van. Yeah. It was, was a Volkswagen say. van. It was a van of <laughs> <laughs> Um, so. yeah, but uh, and that that was a nice kind of cold open to first of all i loved how the movie opened like the uh the opening for the movie was basically three slugs of you know studio director movie let's go like just jump right into it um i'm i'm always like that when i don't have to sit through a minute and a half of studio logos uh, before my movie starts but what i liked was that kind of cold open where he is out on the bike and chasing down the guys doing the slow mo um because it, it gave you a quick kind of world building where you get a feel for what this world is like without them having to tell you. Now they did they they do they have the voiceover, but then you get to see like just how much people don't care in this city when they're driving down the street, down the whatever that little back road highway thing was, and just firing off into traffic in broad daylight. Because they just don't care. They just don't want to get caught by the judge. They know how bad that's gonna be. Um, so for me, that was just kind of a nice little sort of opening. And if, and if the language didn't get it, give it the R rating, the next moment definitely did. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah, yeah. This movie is, 
not shy in its violence whatsoever and and depict not only visually but what they're like how they even just talk about it, the callousness with which they talk about like human life um i mean there's that shot and it's funny because there wasn't a lot of intentional humor in this one and that was one of the drawbacks with judge dread was stallone wanted to focus so much into putting more more and more humor into the script and this didn't have much in the way of intentional humor, but it did have some of that kind of um, comic book dread uh, slash RoboCop sat- satire, right? Um, yeah. Also, there's a fair amount of gallows humor in there, too. Like when oh, she definitely. She enters into his head, and she's like, I'm in your head. It's kind of empty in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a few lines. There was that. There was the exchange in the um, elevator. where she um, And I captured that where she's like, he's going for your gun. Yeah. No, he changed his mind. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like stuff like that. Uh, but then there was there was other things like the the cleaning machine coming through collecting all the bodies. And there's the, there was the recycling of the bodies. Yes. It makes you wonder what they're yeah. recycling them into. Food. Yes. So you remember in Judge Dread they always talk they always had the eat recycled food. Oh, there's yeah. your recycled Probably food. Yep. Recycled food Ooh. is silent green. So, uh, but I, I liked how they didn't have to be overt about that. They were just like bodies to collect for recyc, and that was it. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the peach tree bodies taste like peaches. Hmm, it's a good question. Whatever, they're, maybe they're putting something in the water. Yeah. You know? Speaking of, I, I debated whether this was in Atlanta because of peach trees, but uh, <laughs> no, they actually filmed it in <laughs> this uh, uh, South Africa. Yeah, I was going to say they filmed in South Africa, so. Um, I'm, I'm a little, little Atlanta humor where every other street is named Peachtree in this town. Oh, yeah. I forget you're in Atlanta. Um, <laughs> it's only been a week, so. Um, but, yeah, it, there was that gallows humor. There, there was humor, it, but it wasn't so overt, and there was no Rob Schneider, thankfully. Um, yeah, which there's makes... really only one overt, huge joke, action movie trope thing that I can remember. And it's when he's fighting the first of the the evil judges, and he brutally chops that dude in the oh. neck, point where you can see <laughs> something happening in there, and he just says, "Joke on that." Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm on board with this. That was his one liner, and uh, well, no, he had another one where uh, where he tells the other judge to wait, and then there's like that long drawn out wait. That's the thing you're gonna do, and he's like, "Wait for what?" And then she shoots him for her to shoot. Her. So, you know, I want to go back to the the guy that they were kind of leading through. The guy they had as a hostage for a while. Or mm-hmm. prisoner. Um, have you guys seen Sixteen Blocks? Yes. I think no. most deaf could have done a good job. Oh. At the same time, I think he would have made it funnier. So I'm really torn between if I really want him or not because I think most deaf would have done a killer job with it because he has that that energy about him. But at the same time, I think he would have tried to funny it up, and I'm not sure if it would have worked. But 16 Blocks is a great example of how you can put humor into a very stressful film to keep the movie less oppressive. And this yeah. felt very oppressive at times. Although I when didn't... I see when I see most deaf though, I think uh, I, I think of more of his comedic roles, and I'm not sure that I could put him in that role and treat it seriously at all. That was well, my, my one concern. Yeah, I, I will say I will uh, I will second with Hammond. 16 Blocks is a great example of it. And I don't remember him being all that funny in it, it so much. It was unintentional, like nervous humor. Yeah. Like, like, you know, 
why am I stuck with the drunk guy who's also a corrupt cop, you know? Yeah. And, and <laughs> it was far more of a situational, like what you'd say is a real person kind of humor. Mm-hmm. Not camping and shucky and jiving, you yeah. know, making copies in the copier with, you know, El Lolo <laughs> right. Solo. That, Actually, that yeah, actual good humor instead of forced jokes. And I also think the part when he's like trying to get into her brain with his imagination, I think it would have been really creepy for most to pull that off. Yes. It was, it had a sinister, ugly side to him where he was trying, he sounded like he was being funny, but he really wasn't. And I think it would have made it far creepier, actually a little bit scarier. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, and they shot in South Africa, which I think is where he is now anyway. So they should have tried to get him. Maybe they just couldn't afford him. Maybe. Um, Six hundred blocks money is hard to come by. Yeah, it's true. That, all that Richard Donner money. <laughs> um, but that's a that's a great choice because I was going to ask who you would have, uh, who else you you would have uh, cast in that particular role because I'm not casting anybody else but Carl Urban as as Dread in this. He's perfect. Um, and I also think the other person that I thought of too was Common because he had that cool, sophisticated kind of second ship feel to him that I could see. But I think most deaf is my pick. Most deaf is a is a pick, but man, common is a nice uh, a nice one A pick or a two number two. Like that's mm-hmm. a that's good. I did not think of that at all. And yeah, that's common would be good because that'd be the threat of number two. Like she has to play him as well as him play her because mm-hmm. he knows at some point she's gonna blow up and he's gonna be in charge. Yeah, <laughs> a whole other thing going on there that he could bring to it. Oh, he he's underrated. He really is. I need to. What was the TV show he did, or was it a, not a TV show? Um, something on, I think, one of the streaming services recently, wasn't it? I don't remember now. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Um, so the director for this, Pete Travis, I, I, I recognize the name, and I had to look it up, and I, I realized why. Uh, did either of you see a movie called Vantage Point with um, Dennis Quaid? I'm gonna no. Can't take say that, that I did. No. So it wasn't a very wide release movie, but it was um it was a movie where the same um event played out, but from like eight or nine different points of view. So every time you see it, you're getting a little bit more of the story. It was an interesting way to tell a story, but it's a good movie. I didn't realize that that was uh, Pete Travis. So that was from 2008, but it had um it had Dennis Quaid, William Hurt, um. Matthew Fox, Forrest Whitaker, um, is oh Zoe Saldana. I forgot she was in that. Sigourney Weaver too. Um, it's a good little uh, interesting kind of storytelling thing. So Richard Travis did Travis did that. Um, not really much else I recognize of his. Endgame. It's not what I'm thinking of. Nope, <laughs> that's William Hurt. That's something. And Chiwetel. A geophore, whose name I never pronounce right. Chuetel. I don't know. But uh, hmm, interesting. I liked the the way this was uh, directed, and the writer did a great job with it, too. So I might have to check out some of his other stuff. I wish, I really wish this movie had done better. So I mentioned it had a $50 million budget. Um, did either of you look up the box office on this? I did, and I was surprised just based on the calls for a sequel. Yeah, so Hammond, you saw it in the theater, um, and you're you're about the only one. So <laughs> this this movie total 
made in the U.S. $13 million and $41 million worldwide on a $50 million budget. Its opening weekend was less than $6.5 million. Um, and that was a September open, so it wasn't like they just shoved it into you know, the middle of February or something. Um, it's just crazy that this movie didn't do better. Because nowadays it would. It would do gangbusters, but you know, that's, we're in a post-Deadpool, post-like, hey, you can do an R-rated, super-violent movie and people will go see it type of uh, era. I, I wonder if it's, if it's people not being familiar enough with the Dread property. Oh, I'm sure. The Dread, Dread property, the 2000 AD property, and the also being the only other thing that people are aware of is the Stallone movie, which yeah. was, as we know, garbage. Yeah, All I'm right, sure. Well, I just pulled up the top 10 for 2012. Sure. <clears throat> it's the first Avengers film. <laughs> Guy Fall, which is uh, James Bond Home Alone. <laughs> and then you have Dark Knight Rises, The Hobbit Unexpected Journey, Ice Age Continental Drift, Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2, The Amazing Spider-Man, Madagascar 3, The Hunger Games, and Men in Black. So when you're looking at the top 10, and I mean, Men in Black... That's six hundred twenty-four million. Uh, Avengers is one point five billion. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's a hell that's a hell of a top ten. But I can see, especially because a lot of those are going to come out spring and summer. Yeah. So did people the, are just fatigued. Did, did you say the last Twilight movie came out the same year as the first Hunger Games? Yes. Time. Is both, interesting. Both, both by Lionsgate, too, by the way. <laughs> oh, even better. That that is one of those things where I have them inextricable in my mind as happening at the same time, and <laughs> nope, didn't didn't happen that way. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You, so you had it that like Hunger Games and Twilight sort of evolved along the same timeline. Yeah. Rather than being these, crossover, these young adult novels <laughs> becoming more and more, you know. But no, that was completely completely different and probably one led to the oh i'm sure that that at least partially hunger games got greenlit because of how popular twilight was even though they're vastly different like just having that young adult novel do well so cabin of the woods also came out in 2012 too that was 20 god that feels like it's so I, much older than that it does it absolutely <laughs> feels older than that i think I it's just surprised in the johnny depp dark shadows and see, that doesn't feel like it's that old. And Battleship. Ooh. Movie of the year. Let's be real. <laughs> Prometheus. Jeez, 2012 was a... 2012 was a year. Yeah. Wow. The first Ted movie? The first Golly, Ted... And this, was, and this all happened just a couple of years ago, right? Eight yeah. years. Eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's eight. Total recall reboot. Probably our audience because that wasn't a great thing. Mm, yeah that's that's a good point too i mean because that came out earlier in the year the month before the month before oh yeah so that hurts it so you've yeah. already all right so now it's making a little bit more sense you've got a property that isn't as popular and as well known coming out in a year with a ton of tentpole movies a month after a remake of an arnold movie that did not do well and now this is a remake of a stallone movie uh, both from the early to mid '90s, so this the and deck also, was stacked. Also, Looper opened just the next, like two weeks later. 
the week later, the week after Looper opened. Oh, wow. Huh. So, yeah, the deck was stacked against this movie, and it's unfortunate because it deserves to have more stories told. They, they really set up an interesting world, and I think kind of expanding on it and doing more. There was talk for a little while of a series coming um, with Carl Urban, and I would have liked that because it could have kept the story smaller scale like this. Well, I think they did. It's called The Boys. <laughs> Is Carl Urban a huge nerd? Or does he just know that he can get cast in nerdy things? He breaks yes. on he breaks yes. onto the 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 scene in in Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Yeah. He is best known for being Judge Dredd and for being Dr. McCoy in, in Star Trek. He, I don't know. He's in the boys. I mean it, it does does he love this stuff or just does he, it seems like he does because he seems to get really into these performances. He was great as McCoy, probably the best part for me personally of the, the Abrams Trek movies. He's great as dread. I just wonder what the, the connection between the two is, if there is one, or if he's just a dedicated actor that admires their craft. Well, he's got to be somewhat of a nerd because he did doom as well. Oh so... yeah. I forgot about doom. Oh my gosh. That's right. Man, a movie with, with, with dread and the rock in it. Yeah. I know. And it still wasn't good, but <laughs> I I enjoy Doom. We we covered that a while back. Um and I like it's it's another one of those that I feel like had potential and just wasted it. Yeah. So, I can't say it's good, but I also enjoy when I watch it, but it's almost all Carl Urban and uh and The Rock that make that movie that and yeah, Rosamund their Pike's backs, their backs hurt when he was over for carrying that whole movie. Yeah. Well, that and Rosamund Pike's constantly scared face. Yes. She has a, especially in that movie, she has just this look like somebody just startled her at all times. Wasn't she in a bond movie. Uh, yes. She was in the last of the Pierce Brosnan movies. The, the one with the diamond face guy, right? Yes. Die so another day. One. Yep. Okay. Now Before to get I get distracted on, track, on bond, bond movies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now to get us back on track, I did enjoy The Mother of Many Guns. Oh, man. That was something else. That was a great scene. Just visually, that was a great scene. I wish they had given us the point of view of someone on slow-mo for that, but still, that was a great scene. Well, yes. and, and so that was one of the things I really liked, and I have to give Pete Travis a lot of credit for, is he has, this movie's an hour and 35 minutes. There is no shortage of action in that hour and 35 minutes. You have the opening scene on the bike, and then you go right into uh, the drug bus shootout, and then you have um, the stuff on the stairs followed by the shootout at um, in that little lobby area, and then the minigun thing. And each one of them is so visually different. The, the drug bus shootout is all done almost exclusively in slow-mo um, and just looks otherworldly. Like, it's it's this, like, beautifully grotesque imagery. They, they add sparkles to people's eyes. There's, there's just this sort of magic quality to yeah. the slow-mo shots that is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you get the, the one in the lobby by the med center is great because it's just so quick. Like it, it, the whole thing is over in the time of that, uh, the time it takes for that stun grenade to wear off. 
and the way they they shot that and the color palette that they chose for it. So, and then you get the the minigun thing, which is just frenetic and insane and amazing. Um, and it it tells you so much about Mama too as a character. Like she just doesn't care. She's like, you know what? I want these two judges dead. And in order to do that, I'm just going to kill everyone in my way. <laughs> this the pacing of this entire film is really really fantastic that it just it never slows down it's beat to beat to beat to beat to beat doesn't really give you a chance to to stop and breathe except for when a couple of times when it needs to but it's all in service of the grander plot and i think they're not doing in this movie i would argue anything that out of the ordinary story-wise not really many big surprises and the things they throw at you but what they are throwing at you is interesting to look at it's interesting to watch it's it's fun and and i really really enjoyed this movie i can see why it has a cult i want to i want to get down into some of the the nitty-gritty of some of these things because yeah so one of the things I did notice last time when we talked, last week when we talked, we talked about how there was a lot of this raw, raw America stuff. Mm-hmm. And the only time that I ever noticed anything like that was this subtle little image where they're in the school and he's giving this kind of lecture in the school, which I thought was ironic. And there's an American flag, a faded <laughs> American flag behind him. And he's kind of giving this motivational speech. And like, oh, that's yeah. the only raw, raw moment we got after being kind of red, white, and blue to death. <laughs> A week ago. Yeah. Well, and, and too, if you notice that flag um, is a definite comic callback, it's the new American flag. So there's only six stars or oh, yeah, eight yeah. stars or something. It's for the mega states. Um, but yeah, you're right. And, and man, was that nice to have that kind of change up because look, I like America. I like our country, but I also don't need it uh, hammered into my face every two seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but this, but this, oh, sorry, Hammond, go ahead. I was just going to say, have either of you seen the movie New Jack City? Yes. Long time ago, but I did see it. So no. one, of the main, one, of the, one of the plot points is that they that they built, they buy a building and basically turn the entire building into a drug manufacturing plant and distribution center and everything gangster out of one building. And I feel like they kind of did the same thing with this, except on a much grander scale and a lot more violent scale. Like New Jack City wishes it was as violent as Dread. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of movies wish they were as violent as Dread was. Holy crap. Like, I mean, mean just that. Girls, they wish they were as mean as violent. <laughs> They've got the meanest girl of all, the leader of the Mama Clan. The plastics ain't nothing on me. Boy, it, <coughs> pardon me. That came out of nowhere. Um, boy, was she a rough character, too. Like, And they give her, they give her a tragic backstory. Without it being like, I don't know, uh, I guess too cliched in a way. Like, yes, she was a, a hooker, and but she just decided she decided that violence was going to be her way, and just was going to make herself the most powerful woman, and didn't care about anyone. Was just, and she comes into the movie in slow motion, and she leaves it in slow motion, which I thought was kind of a nice bookend. And it's interesting that that you mentioned that for her backstory because she doesn't really have much backstory. They tell they they state these things in her yep. criminal profile, and we never encounter any of this on the screen. We encounter some of the flashbacks of some people in in the psychic mode. Yeah, honestly, Mama is maybe the least developed character in this movie. 
and you don't really know or don't really care because Linda Hetty pulls it off and that would be that's a that's such a, a it's a dangerous line to to be on because if you had somebody different in that role I don't know that they would have pulled off that like you don't really have much rationale for her other than her business is being threatened but I don't know every time she's on screen I'm watching her I'm in I'm in, it, I'm tied in I'm on board Oh yeah, she owns that character 100% and is compelling on screen and it's it's all Lena Headey. It it's just her and her presence. So I started thinking about the fact that there's probably some really 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 cool heads up displays in those helmets. Oh, there has to be. <laughs> there has to be. Just I And and I think had the movie had more budget, they might have shown that. But there has to be something because Look, I've I've been around some great marksmen, but he never misses period no but also he's not bulletproof which i really liked oh that was yeah. oh yeah and boy is so the shot where he he slides down the wall after getting shot first of all you see the exit wound from his uh, armor which that armor is designed to contain things so the fact that there's an exit wound at all tells you how how hard that hit but then when he slides down the wall and you see the size of the hole in the wall mm-hmm that's just brutal. It's like a four inch diameter hole in the wall that he was standing against. And now that's inside <laughs> him. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They, they made him now they, they made him not bulletproof, but then he healed up pretty quick. He got his, uh, well, you know, yeah, they got the, the field med dressing kit that seems to be quite magical. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting if he didn't have it, and it's it's fantastic future medicine, you know. I was to say it can't just heal everything immediately. Well, and you know, you talk about the the one corrupt judge was saying he'd been on the street for twenty years, so I guess you got to have some pretty good field medicine if you're going to last that long in that city. Well, and, and I liked that I liked that moment honestly because Dred's also been on the street for a while. And when they have Anderson before they go out on their, their assignment, they talk about how one in five judges doesn't survive their first day. Yeah. And so you have somebody that has been on the, the, the field for 20 years. You got to expect that they've got to be pretty good at what they're doing. Heads up display in the helmet or not. They've got to know what's going down and, and that's something that I think would be, better explored in a sequel or in a TV series that we're not going to get. Unfortunately, I would love to see a Netflix series. that goes into the, like the, the judges Academy. Mm. Oh, that'd be, that'd be cool. Kind of like a a full metal jacket for judges. Yeah. Ooh, I'd be on board with that. Boy, I I don't want to know who they get for a drill sergeant in that. I mean, might be Carl Urban. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, So yeah, I look. I can't. I can sit here and talk about how much I like this movie all night. Like it's just, it's it's quick. It, you're right. The pacing, I think, is what does it. It it it's an hour and a half, but it doesn't feel short. It's paced out so well, and you get good uh, good payoff. You get a little bit of character arc to it, but it's not not too much. It's also not you know preachy or anything like that it doesn't try to be too much it's just like hey we're gonna we're, we're making a, a real simple story it's self-contained doesn't need to be more than we want to show off slow motion and a whole lot of violence 
and it does it well. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll compare. I, I sat through 93 minutes of the Impractical Jokers film this afternoon, and it felt longer than Dread did when I sat through it. <laughs> there sorry, you go. Joke, you and Murph. I, I love you guys, but <laughs> sorry. But but Dread did have some really fantastic moments mm. in, the, and I want to highlight some of these. So the moment when Anderson has to pull the trigger really for the first time to knowingly execute someone mm-hmm. really, really felt that moment. And then five minutes later, when she's talking to that guy's wife, Ooh, Ooh, like it worked. It worked for me. Uh, yeah. And normally did- I would have a problem with that as like a super convenient thing. Like you're in a building of 70,000 people and she happens to find the apartment with the, the wife of the guy that she had to kill. But they were still on the same floor, so it's one of those where it's like, okay, it kind of makes sense. They were in his neighborhood already. Sure, uh, but but that also ends up changing her as a person later. Mm-hmm. She has no problem pulling the trigger out uh, when uh, after the, the the of course we've talked about the big machine gun tearing down the entire floor, amazing moment. But the moment after that, where dread emerges from the smoke with her lieutenant guy mm-hmm. just pushes him off the balcony and then walks back into the smoke. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, well shot. Awesome. Awesome moment. The other, the other shot that's really worth its weight in gold is after he dopes her up and throws her out, out the, through the window. Mm-hmm. At the end. That is brilliant. And I will call out to the stunt people, the brilliant use of fog to cover the crash mat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. No, visually, if nothing else, visually, this movie is great, but it also has like a nice tight story and it it doesn't really have too many what I would call weaknesses. Um, There's things that would get improved upon, maybe, but it's good and it's criminal how uh, how poor this movie did at the box office, because, you know, as long as you can stomach the violence. Um, which I, and I know a lot of people that can't, so there's definitely people I wouldn't recommend see this movie, but sure. for the most part, it, it's such a like over the top version of violence that it becomes, I don't know, I, desensitized isn't the right word, but it's easier to stomach. Yeah. It, it's very, it's, it's like kill bill. Yes. Violence, that's, that's a good way to put it. It's not realistic in any way, shape or form because instead of you know, a bullet hole, you have a cannonball sized hole in the wall. And <laughs> right. then instead of just going through the guy's head, it tears off his cheek. Yeah. And when she hits the ground, it's not like she just dies. It's like she dropped an egg on the ground. I mean, there's, it's just, everything's real. And then they take it to like 12, 13 on mm-hmm. a ridiculous scale. So it yeah. becomes more cartoony and more, I guess, palatable because you don't, when you watch certain types of violence, you can feel it like in your arms and legs and they mm-hmm. tingle and you're like, oh, yeah. This movie, it's just like, oh, wow, that's a whole lot of blood. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, for me, it's like when I was a kid and I would pick up a Dark Horse comic because Dark Horse yeah. comics were always the real violent ones. And <laughs> and it was, it's like that for me uh, because it's just so over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, great, great movie. And uh, it, it's nice to sort of cleanse the palate and watch something that was a heck of a lot better than that Stallone crap uh, from last week. So, um, you know, I made you guys both watch that for the first time, and uh, so I got to back it up with this. And it sounds like, Drew, you, you like this a lot more. 
I like this way more. And again, it disappoints me that there's not going to be anything else from this, at least for the, the time being. I hope that a Netflix or a, a Hulu will pick something like this up or an Amazon Prime looking for an, another comic based property. Who Just, owns the rights to it right now? I don't know. Oh, if, are the rights tied up with something? That's a good question. Yeah, because I mean, depending on who owns it, there might be something quietly being done. I'm not sure. That would that would be if, nice. As of 2017, they said they were working on a, a TV series. But again, that was three years ago at this point. Yeah. Well, we can hold out hope that maybe we'll get something in the in the not too distant future, whether it's whether it's Carl Urban or not. I would love to see him come back just because he owned it. He was he played the role the way that I would picture from my limited reading of 2080, how I would picture dread where he is. He's got a little bit of sarcasm to him and that you can't not be a little bit cynical after the amount of time that he spent doing the job, but he's just straightforward. I'm doing my job. Uh, I'm going to dish out, you know, justice and he, he can say the word law, which helps. And also he's got the most uh, expressive, lower jaw acting skills yes body i've ever seen since yes oh man and, and and he 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 that dude looked at the comics to pick up those faces he had yeah. like he, yeah. he 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 was so expressive with just this portion of his face like i can't do that but i'm not carl urban so. right no i've never been intimidated by not Keith urban, so <laughs> true oh I've I've never been intimidated by just a jaw before, but that he did it here, and I had to because I played it last week. Um, I captured Carl Urban saying, "I am the law," and I'm going to play it right now because this is how you say that. I am the law. Like this is a great growly kind of Clint Eastwoody uh, way to There's deliver a that line. Of the accent poking through, you can hear just a, a just a touch, yeah. That that was the, maybe the one thing that like I know Carl Urban could do better with the accent. There were a few things that he just dropped the ball on, but otherwise, like he said, a murder at the very beginning of the oh, yeah. monologue at the beginning, which is so funny to me. But but yeah, that 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 raspy, growly, just it's not played for a joke. It's not played as a tagline. It's only done one time in the entire movie that I could notice. Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't overly, he doesn't talk about law, law, law all the time. He mentions it a couple of times, but it always serves the purpose in, in whatever context he's talking about it. And it's not, that was a huge problem I had with Judge Dredd was just they wanted to say the word law all the time, but they cast somebody who physically can't. And then he never, <laughs> get, he never and it's funny because even the psychic girl never said she knew he was going to say that. Oh, thankfully. Wow, Yeah. They, because they had a um, kind of a callback joke in a way. Now it wasn't really a joke, but they had a callback because in the beginning, when he asks her if she's ready, he's like, "You don't look ready." So at the end, he gets the, you know, "You look ready," and so there's a callback, but it's not this cheese ball. I knew you'd say that callback. That makes no sense at all. And I just want to also add in to that point. He he never stops testing her or oh, that, grading her. Oh, the that's entire a great movie. Yeah, he never falters from like he was given the job of assessing her, and that's what he's doing the whole time. That's a great point, Drew. 
And if she said, don't judge me, he would have said, that's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Why we're here. It's in my name. Oh, well, this was a, this was fun and it's a great, great little movie. Go, go see it. If you haven't yet, first of all, if you haven't yet, why are you listening to us talk about it? Go see it. Then listen to us talk about it. But actually I'm going to throw this out there. I actually rented it from iTunes and then liked it so much halfway through that I just went ahead and bought it. So it's worth it for me. I, I, I'll watch it probably maybe once a year, maybe like my, uh, you know my Ash Wednesday viewings of Army of Darkness. I'll find a day to pick my dread day. And there you go. Well, and the the nice thing is because it's an hour and a half long. It's not like your, it's not like my yearly watching of the Lord of the Rings where I have to set aside you know a weekend to do it. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it can be any random night and you'll be fine. Actually, and I I bought it on iTunes too. Only ten bucks right now. It was really yeah. really easy to make that decision. Yeah, yeah. You'll spend you'll spend you'll spend ten bucks on dumber things. Oh, definitely. I yes. I have this week, so. <laughs> um, oh, that's excellent. Well, uh, I want to thank both you guys for being on, um, and uh, give you guys a chance to talk about what you're working on. So, Hammond, we'll start with you. What do what have you got going on? So I am co-host with Brian Ibbett on uh, Soundography. Uh, so go to soundography.com. You'll see all of our shows. We're getting ready to record episode 100. Ooh, soon. congrats. Uh, and then I do be on the playlist with Jay Hammond C, and I produce America's Next Top Podcasting Model, or not model, America's Next Top Podcasting Idol, and Women Kick Ass. Awesome. How about you, Drew? Uh, as a former contestant on America's Next Top Podcasting Model, different show. <laughs> I owned it. Definitely didn't get kicked off the first week. Uh, I'm also on uh, Cosmic Crit, the Starfinder tabletop RPG actual play podcast, which is in the middle of our third season right now, and things are really heating up story-wise for these characters. And I am the host of the More You Nerd podcast, which is in its, at the time that you guys are hearing this, third episode release uh, so of our new revamp show. So please come check us out, CosmicCrit.com and TheMoreYou.com. Awesome. Yeah, Starfinder. We were supposed to start up our our restart our Starfinder campaign this weekend, and I um I caused that not to happen because I you know went and bought a house and moved. Travis. So every, everybody was upset with me, but uh, because of the wonderful COVID nineteen pandemic um, plans that I had coming up in a couple of weeks got canceled, so we'll get to play. So yes, little little silver linings here and there, right? Um. You were on your way to Vegas, weren't you? I was on my way to Vegas. Yeah, I was on my way to Disneyland or Disney World until Disney World shut down. <laughs> oh man, it's too bad because you could have beat all the lines. There's nobody else there. I know. I would. I could. I could just live on an, on Rise of the Empire, or Rise of the Resistance. <laughs> well, um, so we do this show every week, Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, we live stream it, uh, Twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis. Um. The episodes come out Wednesdays, uh, tvstravis.com. You can find us on iTunes, um, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, next week is Top Gun. Um, I found somebody who'd never seen that before. Uh, I, I'm still a little shocked at that. Um, who hasn't seen Top Gun? Uh, it's actually one of Alex's co-hosts on Joystick and Mouse, J-Dimes. Oh, wow. Um, wow. I was in the chat room chatting with them one night and uh, Top Gun came up and he's like, I've never seen that. I said, I started sending him a message right away. Like, hey. <laughs> um, Were they not alive in the 90s when it was on TV again? 
multiple times? Yeah, it lived on TBS. You couldn't swing a dead cat and not hit it on TBS. I know. Uh, but yeah, hit so... a dead goose with it. Ah. <laughs> Um, so when are you going to start your series of movies with Melissa? Like your time, with, you're like, you know, 2021 with Melissa. Oh yeah, I know. Um, just get that going for uh, later this year. Well, it sounds like Drew hasn't seen a lot either. So you'll probably hear him back. Um, I was always more of a TV guy growing up. So it dawned on me today while I was sitting in the theater watching phantom event stuff. I still have never seen Braveheart. Really? I haven't either. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, you guys are giving me all sorts of good material. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's great. Uh, but yeah, so so Top Gun will be next week. And um, at the week after that, I have to remember what the movie is now. Um, but I have um, Gerald from Two Peas in a Pod um, coming on. And I'll have to look and find. Oh, I think we're going to do Unforgiven. I think because I haven't seen that. It's a good movie. I hear that. And yeah. I love, uh, I can't say that I love Westerns, but I've, I've watched a lot of modern Westerns that I've really liked, Open Range and, and Tombstone and whatnot. And, you know, no I like, relation to the Metallica song, though. So just, just be forewarned. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> now, now I won't be upset when I don't hear it. Yeah. Okay. No need to throw a table. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, again, thanks, guys, for coming on. This was a ton of fun. This was a fun two-week uh, thing to do these two movies because they're just so vastly different. And one is one is phenomenal, and the other is Stallone and Rob Schneider. <laughs> and we I never like the fact need... you didn't say bad. I just think you just put Stallone in his own category. Yeah, it really. I mean, he really is. Tango and Cash. I mean, <clears throat> anyway. Um... <laughs> Over the top. There's there's some Stallone for you right there. You know, real steel is just over the top, except for the robots in fighting. It's not arm wrestling. And, and it, I understand and it's that. But... How robots could make something better. I haven't seen real steel, so I can't comment on that. But I mean, why wouldn't you? You're right that real steel is just over the top with robots, but it, it also is Hugh Jackman and not yeah. um, Sylvester Stallone, and it has Anthony Mackie. Like, what's not to love? Um. All right, well, yeah, so join us next week when we talk about Top Gun with Jay Dimes. And uh, until then, get out, enjoy your movies, and be excellent to each other. imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer ladies and gentlemen the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure and this year we need your help more than ever please join us may 27th through may 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world 
We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>